Thank you for tuning in to the weekly sermon from Journey of Hope. We are a welcoming community that fosters belonging and acceptance. Through ministries, we enable individuals to transform their lives as they learn to follow Jesus Christ. We follow the guidance of the Spirit in sharing our faith through missional adventures, building relationships, and offering our witness to our community and world. We are one church with multiple campuses in the Elgin and Bartlett communities. To learn more about us, you can check us out at johumc.org, our church app, or any of our social media platforms by searching Journey of Hope. And now, may you be blessed by this week's message. This morning's scripture reading from Timothy 2. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured? Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and our minds to your word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We continue in our series, Wrestling with Doubt, Finding Faith. And today, we're looking at the good book, Wrestling with the Bible, Gospel Truth. And part of the scripture that Robin just read says, every scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for showing mistakes, for correcting, for training characters, so that that person who belongs to God can be equipped to do everything that is good. The first Bible I ever received, ever had of my own, was about this big. It was a small, green, Gideon New Testament that was handed to me outside of the Grinnell Junior High School when I was probably in sixth or seventh grade by a member of the Gideons International as they stood at the end of where we parked our bicycles if you rode a bike to school. I don't remember if I ever read that little green Gideon Bible, but I had it for quite a while. And not too long after that, I grew up Roman Catholic, not too long after that, we had a substitute priest at St. Mary's. His name was Father John. And Father John was about this tall. He was a retired priest, and he came to fill in for Father Harry. Father John was unlike any priest I had ever met before. 
And I was an altar server that day. And Father Harry had always said, when we have a substitute priest, make sure if they need anything, you help them out. Make sure you show them around the church. And if they need anything, just be there. And I said, sure. Because I was always at the church. I loved being at the church. And so Father John carried this big black leather-covered Bible. Father Harry never carried his own Bible. I don't know. But this was not a neat, tidy, shiny, clean Bible. This was a Bible that had been well-worn, beaten, pieces of paper sticking out, probably loose pages. And he carried it with him. As we processed in for Mass, he carried it with him. I'm thinking... We've already got the lectionary and and the gospel book up there. What do you need your own Bible for? Not only did he carry it with him, but when he was giving his homily and preaching during Mass, every once in a while, that Bible thumped on the the lectern. And, I I, I mean, I feel like I saw people out in the congregation during the homily kind of start a little bit when he thumped the Bible on the lectern. This was a different kind of priest. I kind of liked it. And after Mass, we recessed out, and we stood in the back sacristy, and he greeted people, but there was one gentleman in particular. I, I think he had a cast on or a brace or something like that. And Father John stopped him, and I eavesdropped, like any good altar boy would do. And Father John wanted to pray with him right then and right there and put his hands on him and prayed for him for healing. Like, what is this nut job priest doing with these people? I'd never heard or seen something like that. So then we're taking care of the vestments, and Father John is taking care of his paraments, and I'm helping him hang them up and that kind of thing. And he looks at me, and I'm like, oh, here it comes. And he said, do you have a Bible? And I said, yes, I have a Bible. I have a little green New Testament that was given to me by a Gideon after school. And he said, You come with me to my car after Mass. I've got something for you. And I said, okay, sure, all right. So he took me out to his um, late 70s, early 80s, yellow Pinto two-door hatchback. And he opened up that yellow hatchback, and here was a case of paperback New American Bibles about that thick. And he handed me one of those Bibles. And he said to me, If you don't read anything else in this Bible, read this. And he gave me chapter and verses from Paul's letter to Timothy. I don't remember what those chapter and verses were, or if it was 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy. So when I think of that sometimes, I just read both of them to cover myself. That is one of the moments that I trace back my call to ministry from. Because there is a lot in Paul's letters to Timothy about what it means to be called by God into ministry. Pastoral ministry, but the ministry of all believers as well. That was a really significant event in my life that I will uh, never forget. And it's one of the few stories I tell in my life with little or no embellishment. It really was a two-door yellow hatchback Pinto. I remember it vividly. Because when I was a kid in Michigan, we had a 
four-door hatchback, wood-paneled Pinto station wagon. <laughs> so, my personal history with the Scriptures goes all the way from that little Gideon New Testament to in undergrad and college having my first Oxford annotated Bible with the Apocrypha, whatever that was at that time, to my uh, interlinear Greek New Testament in seminary when I studied Greek. And so the Bible has been with me on and off throughout my life. Now, I, I didn't say I read the Bible on and off throughout my life, but I said it was with me. We didn't read the Bible a lot in my house. I was in the Catholic seminary for a little while in college, and I remember going to one of my first seminary retreats, and for whatever reason, I didn't have um, a Bible with me, and I hadn't taken a course yet at the college, so I didn't have the, my big fancy study Bible yet. So I had a little black it was about that, that wide and about that tall, and it was, a, <clears throat> it was a King James Bible. And one of my Catholic seminary brothers saw that King James Bible, which is, you know, the ultimate Protestant Bible, and he gave me no end of grief on our retreat that I had brought a King James Bible to our Catholic seminary retreat. And I've read the Bible. I can't say that I've read it cover to cover. I've, I'm sure I've read in every book. I have completed several books in the Bible, but I can't with full honesty say I've read letter, you know, cover to cover, everything. And there have been parts of the Bible that at different times in my life that I have struggled with, that I have struggled to fully understand and grasp. There have been parts of the Bible that I have struggled to read as practical and relevant? How do I resolve the love and the grace and the mercy of God and the coming of Jesus Christ as God made flesh into the world with the parts of the Bible that seem to promote things like violence? How do you sort out different parts of the Bible I went to seminary with a lot of women that are better pastors than I, that are better preachers than I am, and yet there are parts of the Bible that, that say or state or that people use to say that women shouldn't be ministers and shouldn't be pastors. How do I resolve things like that? We have to remember that this, this book is, in fact, not one book. It is a collection of books. All right, the first quiz of the day. No pressure here. How many books make up the Bible? 66. That's right. That's good. I'm glad you knew. I wasn't sure. No, that's okay. I looked it up before I asked you. 
I was trying to find a quiz. I used to have a quiz on the Bible where I would read something and ask you if it's in the Bible or if it's like a common thing. And I quickly looked it up on my phone and the only ones I could find were the quizzes where you actually had to answer them before they gave you the answer. And that worried me. I didn't want to answer them with you. <laughs> just in case. Because that's, I mean, how, you know, how embarrassing would that be? It's like, yes, that's in the Bible. And then I'd have to look at it and go, because every once in a while I would get one of those wrong and I'd be like man I mean I want to look really good today I got my first SPRC meeting since I started here after church today Timothy says every scripture is inspired by God That word inspired literally translates to God-breathed. It's the same kind of idea that we get in Genesis as we listen to the creation story and as we listen to God create everything. The heavens and the earth, the sky, the sun and the moon, separating day from night, light from darkness, separating the waters of the heavens from the waters of the seas, creating the creatures of the seas and the creatures of the land. And then there's one thing that is a little bit different, not a little bit different, quite a bit different when it comes to God creating humanity. One significant difference when God creates humanity, it specifically says that God breathed life into humanity. There's no other aspect of creation that says, and God breathed life into the livestock and into the animals. God breathed life into the creatures of the sea and into the sea itself. It's only into humanity that God breathes life. The very breath of God that animates that particular living being, humanity. And here we see that Scripture, that the Word of God is God-breathed, inspired by God's breath, inspired perhaps by the the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. So how is it that we read, understand, interpret the Word of God, living and active? There's another place where we hear a, a specific reference to the Word of God that again is a little bit different and it's in the prologue to the Gospel of John in the very first few verses of God. Or in God. The very first few verses of John. And it's one of the, it's one of the places in Scripture. Now follow me. This can get a little mixed up. At least it can in my head. Where you use the, word, the same word too many times in one sentence and you kind of go, wow, what did you, huh? It's one of those places in Scripture where the word... Word is capitalized because it means something different here. In the prologue to John, the very beginning of the Gospel of John, it says this In the beginning was the Word, capital W. 
And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning, he was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. That scripture, the prologue to John, is talking about Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. Christ is the living Word, capital W, of God. And so we have the Word of God in the Scriptures, and we have the living Word of God manifest in Jesus Christ. The Scripture talks about Christ being the fulfillment of the Word. Christ being the fulfillment of everything we receive in the Old Testament. Now, that doesn't mean that Christ does away with the Old Testament. There are some folks that say, once we have Christ and the New Testament, we don't need to worry about the Old Testament. That doesn't mean you get to throw away the Old Testament. So how do we understand and interpret the Word of God? One might ask, what do we do when different scholars, wise, wise men and women with lots of letters after their names who have studied the Bible in all kinds of original languages, Aramaic, Hebrew, uh, Greek, uh, don't always agree on what the same verse might say or what the same word might say? Why is it that we have so many different translations and paraphrases of the same scriptures and yet they say different things and some people say they might have different meanings? And we hear words like the inerrancy of scripture or the infallibility of scripture. Do we understand scripture in a very literal sense? If this is what it says, this is what it means, period. You don't change it. You don't interpret it differently. But people do. Can we ask the Scripture itself difficult questions? Can we ask the Scripture questions about if you were written, if the whole of Scripture is written anywhere from 1000 B.C. to 100 A.D., in a different place, in a different time, in a different culture, can the Word of God stand up to questions like, are some scriptures written from a cultural perspective that might not be the same as today and so it means something different? Is it wrong to ask those kinds of questions? Can scripture handle those kinds of questions? What does it mean to say that the, the Word of God is living and, and active? If something is living and active, does it always stay the same and mean the same? Different churches, different denominations, different scholars debate, discuss, argue sometimes that they know what it means and someone else doesn't know what it means. I worked with a pastor of a different denomination 
And it was always challenging. I, I mean, a great guy. I think he's a fantastic pastor. Served his congregation well. But if we got into discussing Scripture or theology, the, the, the idea, the attitude was always that their denomination had it right and the rest of us were kind of on our own. And I'm like, okay. And I never had the, the courage to do this, but I always wanted to look at him and I said, does that mean if I don't believe the same way that you do about salvation, the person and ministry of Jesus Christ, the inerrancy of Scripture, the role of Scripture, the history of the church, capital C, that you think I'm going to hell? Because I was always pretty much afraid that the answer was either going to be yes or the easy escape from that question, I guess that's up to God. When I think about Scripture and I think about the power that it holds, because I don't want you to think, I think Scripture is powerful. I think we can pray the Scriptures into our lives and into the lives of other people. I don't think we have to hold a precise literal interpretation of every word of Scripture without considering context and history and culture, I don't think any of that idea takes anything away from the power of Scripture, the holiness of God's Word, or anything like that. One of the, there, there are little things now that I that, that Scripture means to me and that holds value for me. You know, little things that I do with Scripture that I didn't do before. Like John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son so that anyone who believes in Him will not perish but will have everlasting life. I don't read that or preach that without reading John three seventeen because I don't think those two are really meant to be apart. John 3, 17 goes on to say, For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through Him. I don't want to promise salvation in 3.16 without reminding part of the why that Christ came in 3.17. One of my favorite verses was part of our call to worship today. Psalm 119.105. And I always read it in my head in the King James Version. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. For me, that's a Boy Scout reference. Flashlight in a dark woods. I can see my feet. I know where I'm at. I can see the next few steps ahead of me. God doesn't always show me the destination. But God, through God's word, through God's Holy Spirit, reminds me, and through other people in my life, reminds me of where I'm at and where I'm headed. But God doesn't always say, this is where you're going to end up. That gets really frustrating some days. I know, God, this is where I'm at, and I feel like I know the next few steps. I just want to know where it's going. And God is like, if I give you all the answers now, you don't have to trust me on the way. Every once in a while, I feel like, you know, I mean, I, listen, I look at my life and I look at me and I'm like, God has a sense of humor. My wife agrees with me. So I feel like every once in a while, God will give me the place and give me the path. And every once in a while, God is like, I'm not going to give you the destination, but I'll show you two or three options. Come on! Come on! 
But I don't think any of those other ideas about Scripture takes away any of the power of Scripture, any of the holiness of Scripture, any of the truth of the Gospel. But I think some of the arguing we do and the bickering we do about what is absolute truth, what is inerrancy, what is all of that stuff. I think some of the bickering and the arguing we do about some of that stuff, just like a lot of theological arguing and bickering among denominations and stuff, I think all of the arguing and bickering we do sometimes becomes a distraction that prevents us from doing the ministry God calls us to. And that distraction, that bickering, that arguing, and that fighting is not of God. Let us pray. Lord, when I prayed earlier, open our hearts and our minds to your word. Lord, I just mean that so much. Your word is holy. Your word is powerful. Your word is truth in our lives. And it does all the things you say it does in Timothy. It is God-breathed and inspired. It is useful for teaching, for showing us our mistakes and our errors, for helping us to correct those things, for helping us to train us in good character, and so that all of us who belong to you can be equipped for everything that is good, for every good work. So, Lord, help us to dig into your word to befriend your word, to become more intimate with your word. Speak to us, Lord, through that word and through your Son, Jesus Christ. For it is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. So, if it's been a while since you've dug into your Bible, um, dig into it this week. Don't start with the Gospel of Matthew because Matthew starts with the genealogy of Jesus and that can be a little intimidating at first because there's lots of crazy names there. So the Gospel of John, a friend of mine uh, who, who was a pastor in the Iowa Conference who's now a bishop up in the Dakotas uh, in Minnesota Territory, um, she's reading um, in the last 13 days uh, of January uh, Ecclesiastes. Um, if you start today, you've got to start with the first four chapters, but you could, uh, that's what I'm going to try and do. Go now in the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God, the Father Almighty, the fellowship, the communion, and the power of the Holy Spirit, this day and forevermore. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.